Hello and welcome to the That's Afterlife podcast with DM Esther Ranson and Adrian Mills. Well, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, Adrian, I hope you've joined me. Have you? I certainly hope so, Esther. You have. Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. So ask me why I'm in such a good mood. Why are you in such a good mood, Esther? Because the cleaning ladies come back. <laughs> Is that, are things that bad? All those months, I've really been trying hard. I've tried to understand the Hoover and I've washed the tiles and I've... My, I, you know, I live with my daughter, Em, and she's, she's rather good at cleaning. I am so bad at it. Everything I try and polish comes out streaky and unpleasant. And anyway, these wonderful, very glamorous young women arrived, all masked and gloved and carrying all kinds of implements. And they were here for two hours. And the place is shiny and sparkling and beautiful. Could you send them up to me, please? I tell you what, it's a real skill, housework, don't you think? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, what was the Quinton Crisp used to say about uh, two inches of dust and you don't notice after that or something? No, he said after five years, the dust doesn't get any worse. Yeah, well, that was close, wasn't it? <laughs> Fairly close. Fairly <laughs> close. No, it's uh, so I just sat in the sun and ate an egg sandwich. I, that is the thing I can cook. I don't want to say I'm no good at any domesticity, I can make a really wonderful egg sandwich. So if you're looking for a uh, little chef on the uh, motorway, then pop in to see Esther for an egg sarnie. <laughs> I tell you what, um, our guest today, you can take all kinds of advice from because we are thrilled and honoured to have Dame Judy Dench a little later on. You know, um, Dorothy Parker once wrote a review of Catherine Hepburn, which said she ran the full gamut of emotion from A to B. So having seen you um, doing, well, yeah, not dissimilar, what advice do you intend to ask her? Advice. I, I would I would ask her, because when you watch Dame Judi Dench, she looks so relaxed, so uh -huh. confident. Uh, and I think she is the sort of person that you just work on assumption is never nervous. And yet I was watching a documentary the other day with a lot of very serious A-list actors. And all of them at some point expressed a fear of walking out on stage, total and utter stage fright. And some never went back for the second halves. Absolutely. Didn't Stephen Fry yes. get so frightened he climbed on a ferry to Belgium? Yes. And I suppose it must be that word blindness that you're standing on stage and you're thinking, I have no idea what my next line is. Absolutely. I once went to a Barbara Streisand concert and was fascinated. She works off autocue. Oh, right. OK. Because she's so frightened she might lose the words. Well, Marlon Brando, when he played, um, if you remember Christopher Reeve, who I always thought was one of the best uh, Superman, um, when he played his father um, and he wanders around, I was going, what a great performance from Marlon Brando. And he's going, oh, yeah, yeah. And he's looking up into the sky. No, what he was doing was looking up at the rafters because he had all his lines printed on big boards and written in big felt pen, um, all his lines scattered all over the set. So all those thoughtful moments is actually him just taking on board what his next line is you have reminded me i was once sitting in for terry wogan on his chat show and uh, the guest was anthony perkins he who played that most frightening villain of all in psycho oh yes 
I must say, um, I think uh, I think he delved into his inner persona for the role. Anyway, he looked at me with those little shiny black eyes with no depth, psychopath, you know. Yeah. And for some reason, I confessed to him that it was the first time I'd ever done a chat show and I was a bit nervous. When in, you know, a one-to-one situation with a psychopath, don't tell him you're feeling nervous. Anyway, <laughs> so... Um, we showed a little clip from Psycho, the famous bit with the uh, knife coming through the shower curtain. Mm. And um, I said to him, well, Mr. Perkins, you know, it was quite a shock to me to realize that that happened in a completely different place at a completely different time from the rest of the film. I think it was shot in New York. And, uh, and so really, I mean, it wasn't your hand coming through with the knife. And he looked at me and he said, all the aficionados know that that is the case. Ooh. And I said, with my teeth, I can't even say aficionado. <laughs> well, and then the music, goes, ee, 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 and he pulled out a knife. Mr. Perkins and I then had a, a god-awful row on the grounds that I wasn't an aficionado. And I saw our producer standing there with the Terry Wogan cards with my question line on it. And he looked at one and dropped it and picked up the next one and looked at it and dropped it. <laughs> All the time we were having this, you know, wrestle for whose ego was bit bigger than whose on the stage. It was quite funny. The audience were all on my side, thank goodness, because of my disability with my teeth, having, having you know, asked them for the sympathy vote. A problem with your teeth, Esther? No, I won't even go there. Not anymore. That's why I can now say aficionado. Oh, right. Well, how can you cope with this one, right? Because uh, you know how we like to ask uh, for emails and life hacks. And um, and and please, please, as a listener, if you want to uh, give us a, a five-star rating and subscribe to our podcast, then we'll be your friends forever. Um, I've got the most fantastic life hack here. Dear Esther and Aidan, did you know that you can put chilli powder onto the bird food table outside to stop squirrels stealing it because birds don't have the taste receptor for chilli, but squirrels do. That sounds like something the RSPCA would immediately come... Can you imagine the poor little squirrels coughing away? Well, no, no, they might sort of be ordering sort of, you know, a little bit of extra spice with their curries in the future or something. I, I have no idea about that, uh, about um, taste receptors for different animals. Just presume they all tasted exactly the same. Well, you're not supposed to eat them. <laughs> As I said it, I thought, oh, no, that sounds like I'm going to sort of like start catching them. No, no, no. Nothing could be further from the truth. So, Esther, I've got a suggestion for you. When we finish this podcast, I want you to pop outside your bird table, sprinkle some chilli powder and then sit there and wait and see what happens. I think you're cruel, but I'll try it. I'll see, what, I'll see if it works. <laughs> well, I'm thrilled to say that our guest of honour this week, Dame Judi Dench, is in the waiting room. Probably the finest actress in the world. I can see her having a quick sip of champagne. No, excuse me. No, Esther. Water with little drops in it, not to make me cough. <laughs> oh, OK. I was watching the interviews you did... You were on the cover of Vogue. Well, I was. And I had the most glorious time doing it, Esther. Because they put me they put me on a box in a floaty dress. And they said, now just put your arms up. And they had two wind machines. And I thought I was in heaven. And when they printed it, I'm, you can see the box I'm standing on. It's kind of... <laughs> you look like an angel descending from heaven. But they did some interviews with you about that time, all kinds of actor people asked all kinds of questions and you admitted that you rather like champagne did i 
It's funny that, isn't it? <laughs> it must have just slipped out. Well, I mention it because one of the sadnesses of me getting older is I'm now allergic to it. Allergic to champagne? Isn't that awful? That can't be true. It's dreadful, isn't it? There's, there's something in the champagne process which makes it different from other wines. And I came across it with other people, but I never thought it would happen to me. Well, I've never heard of that. Mm. Well, I hope it never happens to you. May it never happen to you. I shall fall over. <laughs> it would be dreadful. Now, Judy, I have some, I have some um, admissions to make to you. Okay. And that is that um, I know that your first performance was supposed to have been a snail, was it? My first performance was a snail. Ah, I didn't mean, I, I just meant that somebody said it was a snail. Quite true. You know that, did you know, do you know that nursery I'm four and 20? I always want to say sailors, but it isn't, it's tailors. Four and 20 tailors went to kill a snail. The best man amongst them dares not touch her tail. She something her horns and said, run, tailors, run, or she'll have you all there now. It's like that. And that was me. I was about um, six, I think. My pa made me an enormous shell made of that thing called buckram, a wonderful shell. And I was all, it was tied around me and I disappeared completely inside it. And then I, I used to crawl across the stage. I thought I was a triumph, but then it came to the mummies and daddies being there. And because I was so delighted, I stood up. And, and all I can say is the headmistress of the school was called Miss Meeby. She, she said, she said, Judith, get down, she said. That was my first notice for my first. <laughs> Did it give you the taste for the stage or not? Did it put you off? No, I didn't want to do it. Ah, ah. I saw you as Juliet and I saw you as Ophelia. Both performances were absolutely amazing. So somehow or other... You were very, very young, I expect. <laughs> yes, but, you know, I knew. I mean, this was at the Old Vic, wasn't it? And And... Everybody in that audience was spellbound and dazzled by you. So you sort of burst onto the stage in full bloom with the snail left far behind. <laughs> well, I'm hoping to play it again soon. The snail or Juliet? <laughs> oh, no, the snail, darling, the snail. <laughs> Does acting come easy, Judy? I don't think it's ever easy. It, I mean, it can be gloriously good fun. And it can be fiendishly difficult. Hmm. And, it, and it's, of course, on stage, it's never, ever the same. Because the audience is such an integral part of it. There's no such thing as saying, oh, this is a terrible audience. No, you're probably giving a terrible performance. When I played Cleopatra at the National, I knew, I knew that there was a laugh she intended to get. Late, late on in the play, I knew that there was a line that was meant to be a laugh. And I tried and tried. And on the hundredth performance, which is our last performance, I got the laugh. And you think, oh, well, thank goodness, then I can now lie down. Now. That's when you open the champagne. <laughs> That's, oh, yes. Oh, I'd done it before that, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things you've been doing recently, Judy, is you've been doing a competition with your grandson. He's tried to catch you out on TikTok with Victorian riddles. Now, I was taught these riddles by my grandmother. I wonder if I can test you. My grandmother tells me that the owl owled because the woodpecker woodpecker. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Did you 
tell me that in The Owl and the Pussycat, yeah. who's the chap in it? The Owl and the Pussycat went to see beautiful beginning. They took some money and played him The Owl looked up to the stars and said, and sang to a small guitar, oh, lovely pussy, oh, pussy, my love, what a beautiful pussy you are. But pussy said to the owl, oh, elegant fowl, charmingly sweet you sing, oh, let us be married. Too long we have married, but what can we do for a ring? It's a very modern relationship. It certainly is. They sailed away for a year and a day. To the land where the bong tree grows. And there in the wood, a... Stood. Piggywig. Stood, with a ring at the end of his nose. Dear pig. Dear pig. Are you willing? To sell for one shilling your ring, said the piggy. I will. For an enormous price, I expect. So they sailed away and were married next day by... The turkey who lived on the hill. They dined on... Mince and slices of quince, which they ate with a runcible spoon, and hand in hand on the edge of the sand, they danced by the light of the moon. Heaven, heaven. I just have one more for you. Why couldn't the viper viper nose? Um, why couldn't the viper viper nose? Because Something addit, something, you know, what? Yes, very close. Oh, the adder addit. The adder adder handkerchief. It's it's sensational. When you open your Christmas cracker company, you two. (laughs) We should. You should. Judy, can I just take you back to your acting? I was talking to Esther earlier on about actors who actually have stage fright. Who, Who Have you ever, ever found yourself in a situation where you've been on stage and thought, what on earth am I doing here? What is my next line? Well, it's like Ralph Richardson, wasn't who got to the beginning of yells, hills, brooks, standing lakes and, and stones. And, and there was a long pause and he said, mushrups. He said, <laughs> everybody has that, but not such fright that can't mime your way out of it. Or, you know. Have you ever had to improvise your way out of it? I, oh, often. And I also remember Johnny Neville and his wife coming to see Cabaret and I wanted to be the performance of my life and I dried in the middle of the song. Now that's not good. <laughs> in the middle of the song, because the orchestra doesn't wait for you. You, you know, you're, yeah. you're left hand dry. <laughs> I have heard you say um, that if you could meet yourself when young, the one advice, piece of advice you would give yourself is don't fall in love so often. Yes. Did you fall in love all the time when you were? Yes. Young. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm terribly susceptible. I think that's a great gift. As long as you've got good taste, as long as you don't fall for baddies. Yes, and as long as you don't hurt anybody in the process. Mm. Speaking of baddies. <laughs> Who's coming up now? <laughs> Notes on a scandal. Oh, God, what a good piece. Geoffrey Palmer gave it to me a long time ago to read. And so when it came up, oh, God, I grabbed it with both hands from my friend Richard Eyre, who directed it. Oh, God. Have you read the book, Esther? Long time ago. Remind me what made her so villainous. Well, because she was so uh, possessive, dangerously possessive. We had a row at the end. You remember, there's a big row where I get smashed against a bookcase and I had a kind of turtle shell, like a, <laughs> it's 
like a kind of funny shell fitted to my back under my costume, <laughs> ready for the great smash against the bookcase. Thrilling. And at the end of it, Kate had a bottle of champagne waiting for us. It was lovely. There's a running theme about champagne in this interview. <laughs> <laughs> and shells on your back. That's true. Yes. <laughs> and shells. Judy, you mentioned a favourite actor of mine there who I worked with many years ago in a series called Fairly Secret Army, Jeffrey Palmer. Oh. And never have I heard a man talk so adoringly about another actress as he talked about you. Oh, God. And one of the favourite series, and it was mentioned to me today by somebody who's a chap in his mid-30s, he said, you know, nothing gives me greater pleasure than going back through some of the, the archive TV and watching As Time Goes By with you and Geoffrey Palmer. Oh, we had such a great time doing it. And he was just wonderful. We used to do the same thing to Sid all the time. We used to get there all early for rehearsal. And then you know how in a rehearsal on those bits of furniture uh, for your room, for the sets and things. And I mean, I don't know how many times, I don't know how many times I said, let's hide. And we'd all get into these things and Sid would walk in, there'd be nobody <laughs> in the room and we'd all burst out. <laughs> He must have been aware of it, but he never showed that. Heaven it was. Do you ever giggle, Judy? Never. Oh, dear. In Macbeth, which you did at the other place, so the audience were, they felt as near as you are to me now, and they were only six feet all the way around us. One night, Ian McKellen said, you know, the line is, light thickens, and the crow makes wing to the rookie wood. He said, light thickens, and the crow makes wing to the rookie nook. And I was, <laughs> and I went completely to be, really completely to pieces because nervous make, makes you laugh a lot sometimes. I think, <laughs> um, and so I thought this is the moment where Lady Macbeth has a terrible because she's so anxious she has a terrible fit of hysteria and kind of goes to pieces laughing and crying and throws <laughs> herself on the ground. I never let Ian forget it. <laughs> so. Lady Macbeth and Cleopatra mm. and Queen Elizabeth the first. Mm. Um, Queen Victoria. Mm -hmm. Queen Victoria. There was an interesting part. Well, what was interesting about that was Billy Connolly, wasn't it? It was. Oh. Is it your view that Queen Victoria had a more than a friendship with, with Mr. Brown? Well, she did go to her grave with his portrait in her hand. Wow. A little painting of him. Yes. So maybe she was a bit susceptible to what we know she was. Um, so I think, yes, I think probably. There was no doubt, obviously, that he was an enormous um, comfort and confidant of hers. Right. And somebody who didn't... Um, fall into the same category as everybody else in the court and was somewhere that she could escape to. I'm told, and, and uh, whether this is true or not, Billy Connolly can be a bit of a cheeky chappy, not only on set, but behind the scenes as well. <laughs> yeah. There's that shot of us, the two of us at Osborne, on the pony, walking away, taken from right up, and the two of us walking along this path. And we got I got onto this pony, which I had to do from kind of pair of library stairs. Because <laughs> riding side saddle is one thing, riding side saddle in a corset with an enormously heavy costume for the poor pony, for goodness sake. 
all on one side. And as we walked, so the pony farted at every single step we took. And 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 Billy said, Is that you? I said, no, is it you? How are you with nudism? I mean, are you an, a natural nudist? No. I am. That's why I ask. I celebrated my 80th birthday by removing my clothing and running around the garden. I was alone, I feel I should say. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. That's very good. Well, I do know the feeling of taking all your clothes off is just heaven, isn't it? I had to do it in a film, though. Which one? Langriche Go Down. And um, with Jeremy, a passionate scene with Jeremy Irons, where she puts cream on her nipples and he licks it off. And after we'd done the scene, we came out and it was tea time. And... <laughs> And the and the um, caterers had made <laughs> meringues for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that was very very nice. Well, for us. <laughs> so, do you do that often, Esther? I skinnied whenever possible. Swimming naked is swimming fun. naked is just wonderful. I really recommend it. That is very good. Yeah. You must have done that. Well, I do that because we're lucky and we have a pool, so you can quietly do it sometimes if somebody isn't going to come around suddenly. I don't want to be caught at it. <laughs> well, no, indeed, I agree with you. I, my daughter tells a story of how I persuaded her to skinny dip with me. Just well, I had forgotten a meeting between some important local um, parish people who arrived. Yes. Uh, uh, How did you get out? Um, quickly backwards, I think. <laughs> Sounds like a play, quickly backwards. Yes, quickly backwards. <clears throat> we could do that play. <clears throat> but then you were suddenly promoted into the Secret Service. Now, that's that's quite an appointment, Judy, to, to, to be cast in a role which had only been played by men before it's an iconic figure with um 007 at your behest whenever you wished that was uh, it was ex very exciting to do and we had good good fun to doing doing it you know what a great part to be asked to play we were very nervous i think both pierce and i in golden eye because that was the first one we and and for him that's a huge responsibility they all do it so differently from each other, don't they? I I like the humour in it. I'm, you know, I think Piers and and Sean and Roger Moore were, you know, I think Daniel Craig is a fabulous actor, fabulous actor, but they're a bit gloomy. The script isn't so funny, is it, or No, you? no, it's not. I know. I I agree. In Skyfall, my wife cried at your demise. Oh. That's very nice. I cried because we were told we were going to Scotland for three weeks and we went one morning, we filmed, and we were back on the 7.30 plane that night. Oh, wow. All the house and everything was built at Aldermaston on Ministry of Defence land. Gosh, didn't realise that. I know. But there was that one bit of driving in the, that car, standing and looking out over Glencoe. Heavenly. The last time you and I met, you sweetly agreed to be an ambassador for the Silverline helpline, which is still going strong. And brilliant for you, Esther. Well done. So I came round to see you because you were in the that play about um, Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland, Peter and Alice. And there was Steve Coogan was there. 
in your dressing room and a lady I didn't know, but you introduced us, Philomena. Oh, Philomena Lee. What a winner. What a winner that part was. I think I told you at the time I met her before we started. And so, you know, understood. I don't think I would have played it like I did had I not met her. My goodness me, you know, she was, she was full of humour and she was, oh, the most delightful person. I, I don't know, I haven't been in touch with her for a long, long time. I hope she's all right. Um, I can't think she won't be. Her spirit is just fantastic. Fantastic. And what a story. What a tragic story. What an important story. How that could have gone on for decades. Um, In case somebody doesn't know the story, it's, it's about women who had their babies taken from them. And their babies were taken away. Yeah. Nuns. By nuns. Shocking. And she made all those journeys and he was buried there. Just, well, dear, terrible. I don't know how you get over that. Nor do I. Nor do I. But it was such an important story to, to, to get out there. And an extraordinary achievement by Steve Coogan to, to, to turn it into that wonderful screenplay. And I th- it was such an impressive film. Worth telling the story. Worth telling the story. Now, my friend and colleague, Cyril Fletcher, used to say, as as a comedian, somebody had died during one of his performances and somebody else had given birth. Not at the same performance, but at different times. So he felt he'd run the gamut. I've had, had, uh, on two occasions, somebody being taken very ill and having to be, having a pause and them to be taken out. That's worrying, very worrying. What about mobile phones? Oh, yes. Wasn't it um, Richard Griffith stopped one night, didn't he? Anytime you're ready, we can go on, he said to this person. Who was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable, that, isn't it? And also, they always say, um, they say no photographs to be taken in the theatre. But, I mean, even I, who can't see very well now, <clears throat> even I can walk in and you see a hundred red lights, little tiny little red lights. You know that somebody taking a photograph. Does that annoy you? Well, it shouldn't happen. Mm. You know, that's taking a photograph. Somebody's not listening what's going on. Exactly. And it's distracting. It is. Can I ask you a favour? Sure. Would you? This is a terrible thing to ask because... I'm not going to take all my clothes off and run about. That is so disappointing, Judy. I was going to ask whether you would say us a Shakespearean sonnet to me. Oh, yes, I would. Oh, of course I would. This is a man's sonnet, but I dote on it. When in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries and look upon myself and curse my fate, wishing me like to one more rich in hope, featured like him, like him with friends possessed, desiring this man's art and that man's scope with what I most enjoy contented least. Yet in these thoughts, myself almost despising 
happily I think on thee. And then my state, like to the lark at break of day arising from sullen earth, sings hymns at heaven's gate. For thy sweet love remembered, such wealth brings, that then I scorn to change my state with kings. That's not a bad sonnet to have written to you, is it? It's wonderful. It's not a bad sonnet to have read by Judy Dench to us either. It's wonderful. Can you imagine receiving that? Anyone who can say those lines, you know, in, in all those plays, my love is all as boundless as the sea. My love is all as boundless as the sea. Um, and I suddenly realized the other night, in the middle of the night, because I can remember huge chunks of the plays. And I suddenly remember the, the thought of it this the other night, only a few nights ago, that Titania in the forgeries of jealousy scene, it, in, at the beginning, uh, talks about the state of, of the earth now. She says, these are the forgeries of jealousy and never since the middle summer spring between her and Dale Forest. Um, Therefore the winds, piping to us in vain, as in revenge have sucked up from the sea contagious fogs, which falling in the land have every pelting river made so proud that they have overborne their continents. The ox hath therefore stretched his yoke in vain, the ploughman lost his sweat, and the green fields have rotted ere their youth attained a beard. Green corn hath rotted ere its youth attained a beard. The fold stands empty in the drowned field, and crows are fatted with the Marian flock. The nine men's morris is filled up with mud, and the quaint mazes in the wanton green, for lack of tread, are indistinguishable. The human mortals want their winter here. No night is now with him or gone. But it's it's a kind of you know it's kind of state of what what we're doing to the to the land. The extraordinary thing is that we have so much more information now. Yes. We have so much more science now. We have so much more understanding of what makes us tick, what makes the universe tick. And yet nobody has written like that since Shakespeare. I don't think. And about everything, about, about every single emotion you can possibly think of. Yeah. Love and hatred and jealousy and envy and, and well, everything you can imagine. Yeah. There's a difference to and not just a reference, I mean, a sensational remark about it and understanding about it. Right. Well, we've got um, another favourite question that we ask. You know, this uh, podcast is called That's Afterlife. Yeah. Well, we always ask our guests of honour if they have a view about afterlife, what the afterlife would look like and what object that they would like to take with them to the afterlife. Mm-hmm. So firstly, what do you think it looks like? I hope it's busy. I mean, I hope, the Lord, I hope it's full of people I know and not people that I see. And I think, oh, what's that person's name? I hope that I have immediate recall. Perhaps they wear badges. Perhaps they do. Perhaps they all have drinks and are all laughing and talking. And do they have a theatre, do you think? Of course. Do you think so? They have the Royal Box. Yeah. 
I don't think God will sit in the royal box because I think the sight lines are always so terrible. You really can't see what's going on. Middle of the dress circle. Middle of the dress circle. Kenneth Branner in the royal box, sir. Yes, we'll have Ken. Yes, definitely. Don't you own an Elizabethan theatre? Didn't you save the one from Shakespeare in Love? Yes, I was given the one from Shakespeare in Love. Where is it? David Parfitt. Well, it's <clears throat> deteriorated. Oh. Uh, uh, so except that it, there is a Shakespeare North, which is going to be built, which is wonderful up in Lancashire. And I think there's going to be a tiny little bit of it in it. Okay. So that's lovely. And that's a, you know, that'll be, that'll be great. That'll be great. Yes. So what, what object are you taking with you? to this busy afterlife full of people clinking glasses of champagne, eating ambrosia and uh, wearing badges with their names on. I would take, I I'm going to take my address book. Ah. And then I can kind of say, hey, you know, we're having a ball. Don't be frightened. Don't be afraid. A message from the afterlife, yeah? Yeah. So it's going to be absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I have an address book and I find it quite sad because mm -hmm. so many names in it aren't with us anymore. I know, well, you need to get in touch. <laughs> definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Well, Judy, it's been so lovely. Thank you so much for being with us. What a pleasure to be with you today. Lovely to be with I you. I feel as if we've had a small party. Esther with no clothes on. No yeah. champagne. <laughs> no champagne, this is water. <laughs> you have a fantastic ability to enjoy life, Judy. I feel you, you have been like a glass of champagne for me. You really have. When I did Desert Island Discs, I asked for a bathful. <laughs> I remember. What could be better no, than hot sunshine? Yes. Lying in a nice bath with a glass of champagne and no clothes on. In the middle of the West End. <laughs> <laughs> Will you write the play, Adrian, for it? I'll drop it into you next week, Judy. Okay, okay. That would be good. Thank you so much. Keep well. Bye. Wow. Such a lovely, lovely person. Oh. You can see why everybody queues up to work with her. Oh, my goodness me. Esther, finally, got one more email. Uh, Joanna from Worthing. She says, oh, I love this question so much. What sort of boss were you on That's Life? Don't get me started. <laughs> Shall I tell you the worst thing I ever did? Oh, go on. You know ITN's consumer champion, Chris Choi? Yes. Well, you remember he was a producer on our show. He was on That's Life. And I was sitting with the programme editor and him talking about some important um, item that he was working on. And I looked down on my leg, I saw some strange lump. I was wearing trousers, but there appeared to be, well, I didn't know what it was. So I sort of felt it and it moved downwards and it kept moving downwards. And then I said to Chris, who was sitting opposite me, would you mind grabbing that and pulling? And he grabbed it and pulled. And it was a stocking, a black fishnet stocking <laughs> attached to a black suspender belt. <laughs> what? And then another stocking. And in some strange way, I had managed to put my trousers on that morning with 
yesterday's stockings and suspender belt inside it. And Chris Choi was left holding them. And after years of therapy, he's turned up at ITV doing the news. Esther, th that is... Terrible. Yes. I apologise, Chris. And may I apologise at this moment for all the other terrible things I may or may not have done and may not remember. But if you remember them, you can always send me an email and I'm sure Adrian will enjoy reading them aloud. Absolutely, especially if it involves your suspender belt. So uh, that is the end of our podcast. And if you'd like to join us again, subscribe to That's Afterlife podcast. Remember, we'll be reading your letters. Oh, please get those letters in about Esther <laughs> every week. So make sure you send your views to hello at thatsafterlife.com. That's hello at thatsafterlife.com. Esther, what can I say? Bye-bye. Oh. Bye-bye, and excuse my blushes. That's Afterlife is a Captive Minds production and is series produced by Ross Haley. The creator and executive producer is Liz Mills. Mm -hmm.